Today's episode of the Locked On NBA podcast is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip on social media. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to your favorite day of the week. I am Adam Mades. I am not joined by Anthony Irwin. He's got the week off. But I am here to take you through my new, my notes, my notebook from Game 1 of the NBA Finals. It was a really entertaining game. I think maybe a little bit surprising in how it went down. Toronto with an impressive win to open up these playoffs over the Golden State Warriors, 118-109, in a game that they really dominated most of the way. I shouldn't say dominated, but certainly outperformed Golden State and was the better team for, for most of this game. Huge performance from Pascal Siakam. So in this show, segments one or two are going to go through my notes, not necessarily recapping the game beat by beat, but sort of the things that stood out to me. This is what I like to do for Locked On Nuggets throughout the season is kind of provide the things that I think were the most interesting about the game. And in segments two and then to close segment three, I'm going to talk about areas of improvement going into game two, both for the Warriors and for the Raptors and some possible areas of regression from each team, maybe some things to expect to get worse going into game two. And then at the end, a couple of big questions to kind of help form the discussion. As always, don't forget, download the Himalaya app to listen to this show. It's free. It's super easy to use. It's got every podcast you love and are searching for. You can get personal curated playlists made just for you by expert podcast t- tastemakers, theme collections of shows to help with podcast discovery. It can tell you, you it, it knows what types of shows you like, and then it'll suggest some for you. There's a like and comment uh, function on there, so listeners can give a thumbs up or thumbs down to comments. Uh, on individual episodes. It's just got shareable playlists. It's got so many cool features on there that you're going to want to check that out. And again, that's the Himalaya app, completely free. All right, let's get into this one. Um, Coming into the game, the Warriors, everybody had talked about the statistic, 31-1 and in their last 32 games when playing with Steph Curry but without Kevin Durant. They now move to 31-2. and Um, Kind of an arbitrary cutoff number there, but it does kind of go to show you that the Warriors had had a lot of success without Kevin Durant. I think these talking points about are they better or worse without him, I I don't think there's anybody that actually believes they are um, better without Kevin Durant. But, you know, they had performed sort of at their peak and like their old self for so long, and, and certainly over the last five games without him in this playoffs, um, that you, you kind of you forget what it looks like when the Warriors are vulnerable. And this was a game where I don't think it was just a matter of Toronto playing well. I think there were some real areas of, of vulnerability in, in what Golden State was trying to do. To start with, they matched up. Um, they had interesting matchups on the first possession. That was one of the big questions coming in was Golden State had a couple different options, and I suspect as the series goes on, there will be some mixing and matching of, of who guards who. On the very first possession, they put Draymond on Mark Gasol. And, you know, going into it, you thought, okay, that's a matchup. Gasol is the preferred screener and pick and roll for Toronto. So you put Draymond on there, you can switch. And then you've got Draymond guarding either Lowry or uh, Kawhi Leonard, the two most likely players to run pick and roll as the ball handler. So that was something you kind of anticipated, but they actually switched Draymond over to, to Siakam after the first possession. So it was a little bit of a, you know, we're going to show this look, but then we're going to go back to it. The Raptors matched up more traditionally, each guy guarding their position. So um, that was that. Obviously, Iguodala on Kawhi Leonard. I thought in this game, so, so that was interesting. I, 
we'll talk a little bit more about Siakam because he was the player of this game and, and he was really the story of this game. But it'll be interesting to see how the Warriors maybe try to adjust some of their matchups, especially if Iguodala is hurt. We'll talk about that a little bit later as well. The Raptors were fantastic in transition. They won the fast break battle 24-17. to 17, And... Um, this is such a big thing for attacking the Warriors. If you remember the last time the Warriors lost in the playoffs, all the way back in 2016 to uh, LeBron James and the Cavs, you remember that the Cavs were not afraid to run on them. They would run with discipline, and I think that's the thing that you have to do uh, against this Warriors team. You can't just turn this into a half-court game because the Warriors are just so fantastic defensively in the half-court. You have to be able to put pressure on them and put them on their heels, but the Warriors are also great when you get sloppy in transition, and I thought in this game the Raptors did a fantastic job of not allowing uh, Golden State to get out on the break. Gasol and Siakam, I think the versatility of their skill set defensively really allows them to wall off the paint, and that allows the other three defenders to kind of run to the perimeter and guard the perimeter. So they did a great job, I thought, on several occasions where Golden State would typically get a, a um, you know, put pressure on the defense. Draymond Green grabs the defensive board and he's sprinting up the court. Well, I thought they did a good job of walling off the rim. Uh, slowing the ball down, using Siakam to kind of slow the ball down, Gasol to wall off the paint, and then everybody else recovered the the three-point shooters so that there weren't those driving kicks in transition. So 17 points, holding Golden State to just 17 points, that was a huge feat in and of itself. Um, seven of Toronto's first eight shots were from three, and this, were, this is kind of an interesting... X factor, I guess. I guess for Toronto tonight, they shot the ball very well. Thirteen of thirty-three. That's thirty-nine point four percent from the three-point line. But early on, Marc Gasol, Pascal Siakam, both getting three-point attempts and both knocking them down, and that's just so important. The way that the Golden State is able to defend and the the versatility of their defense, you're going to have to be able to use your fours and your fives to knock down shots. And tonight they got that. Um, it was clearly a point of emphasis. They were getting those looks early on and they were knocking them down and converting them. The Warriors starting lineup, and this maybe is the story from the Warriors perspective. I talked about them looking vulnerable in ways that they hadn't for a while. This was a game where you really felt the three either non-threats or only minor threats as scorers in that starting lineup. And that's Andrea Godala, who, again, he is a threat, but not a major threat offensively. Draymond Green, same thing, a great playmaker. Uh, Iguodala as well, great passer, great playmaker, but not necessarily a great scorer, a great shooter. And, and then obviously you had Bell as well, who I would say is, is closer to a non-threat. And what I thought with this game was that the Warriors looked like they were constantly trying to hunt for shots for Clay and for Curry. And, of course, that's a large part of their offense all the time. But it felt very predictable. And, and I thought Toronto, their game plan coming into it was, okay, we're going to make things really difficult for those guys, and we're going to create catch-and-shoot shooting opportunities for the other three. And as a result, you get a first quarter in which Steph Curry and, and, and Clay Thompson combine for 5 of 16 from the field. The rest of the team just 2 of 7. So each guy, Clay and Curry, gets more shots than the rest of the team combined in that first quarter. And it really felt like it. There was a lot of that ball movement from the Warriors that they're so famous for. That really, I mean, there were some beautiful possessions of ball movement, but it just felt like it const it was constantly winding up with Iguodala from 15 feet or Jordan Bell from the baseline. It, they were all that ball movement was was working to produce the shots that Toronto wanted them to have. And um, one of the storylines I think going forward is that Golden State's going to have to a find ways to get better looks for Clay and Curry, even when the defense is keying in on them, but also how to punish them in 
ways that set those other guys up to to be in scoring position. Not catching the ball on the baseline for Jordan Bell, not you know Andre Iguodala from the top of the key, but maybe some more high percentage shots for those guys. That's going to be really really tough. I thought Draymond Green got a tough whistle in this one, and far be it from me to, you know, Draymond Green's talked about how much he's complained and how annoying he can be, but in this one, foul trouble was a real issue for him, and Draymond's such an important, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andre Godala, Draymond Green, those guys, as great as they are, the Warriors are so thin behind them that foul trouble, injuries, these things really, really diminish the Warriors' chances if they occur, and in this one, Draymond was playing through foul trouble for much of the game um, but I thought he got a, a little bit of a tough whistle some of those calls especially on replay and you can always tell when the broadcast doesn't want to play a replay usually that means that it was probably a bad call but fortunately with the uh, w- with some of the tools I have to be able to rewatch games you could really watch some of these ones and see that I thought he got a couple of those um, kind of went against him 50-50 calls that went against him um and I talked about Toronto being opportunistic with their fast break. So I alluded to this earlier. You speed up on the fast break and you take ill-advised shots or or you get out of sorts and you waste part of the shot clock, then a, a fast break can be a hindrance. And Golden State's very good at getting back in transition. Um, but I thought Toronto did a great job of pressing the fast break when they needed to, but when they didn't, identifying that quickly and getting into their half-court offense. And um, not a lot of turnovers from their night, I think just 10, and a lot of fast break opportunities. That's a, a, an excellent game plan. That's probably line number one or line number two on this on sort of the uh, the playbook to beating Golden State. So fantastic job on that end. And, and if they can keep that up, they're going to have a great chance of taking this series. You can't be afraid to run against the Warriors. That's the biggest thing. It's it's not don't ever run. You're going to have to get those points. They're such a good defensive team in the half court that you're going to have to create something in transition. You just can't get lured into bad transition. Marcus Cousins made his first appearance uh, of the postseason to open up the second quarter alongside Jarebko, which I think was an interesting choice and probably not one they're going to run back. Um, Jarebko, very ineffective. Again, most of his minutes, maybe all of his minutes were alongside Demarcus Cousins. I don't I don't remember off the top of my head if there were any alone. Um, but he plays seven minutes and 36 seconds. They're both a negative. Eight minutes for Demarcus Cousins, a negative. And I think offensively, you know, I go back and forth. DeMarcus Cousins so rusty, such a weird fit anyway when you talk about with this Warriors team. I, in in certain moments, he looks like a dominant player. He's passing. I think offensively he kind of knows. He, he's such a versatile player as a, as a, from the center position. He can be a scorer. He can be a shooter. He can be a passer. That I think, you know, he fits in to what they do, you know, if he's just needed to be that guy. What's weird about this situation, and I just talked about how so much of the offense was having to be run through Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, I actually think DeMarcus Cousins' most important role in this series is going to be as a bench scorer. They need somebody to produce shots and put pressure on the defense when one or both of those guys, Curry and Clay, are on the bench. I don't suspect that there'll be too many minutes with both of them on the bench. But nonetheless, in those bench lineups, they're going to need another score and cousins you just look around it there's not a lot of guys that you can say okay that's the guy that's going to go out and you know force the defense to adjust force them to do something different 
So if DeMarcus Cousins continues to play, uh, he's in the unfortunate spot of, I think, being required and requested to um, to do quite a bit of the sort of leadership with that second unit. Again, unfair to a guy that's just missed several weeks and then is playing in the, his first ever finals and, and, and back from that injury. Um defensively, I just don't think he can get there. And that's that's part of the trade-off. He, I don't think he can be a high-minute guy. I don't think he can play a ton of minutes with the starters. Um, you're going to need him against that bench unit. But defensively, there was a couple possessions where one rotation and then he was out. Maybe he'd make the first rotation. Maybe he would show up on the screen the way he was supposed to. But as soon as the ball re- uh, reversed to the other side, there's just you could tell he wasn't crisp. He almost looked like he was in preseason form, not NBA Finals form. And that's to be expected given the amount of time that he's missed Fred Van Fleet continues to cook what a what a little run that he is on right now he hit some timely shots he had that bank shot at the end that I think kind of ended the game there's three minutes left he hits this I mean we'll call it a lucky shot um kind of falling into into shot clock and it goes in and I think it put him up 13 or 14 but he was five of eight from the floor uh, from the field he had 15 points he was tied for a team high plus 11 and more than anything, he defended it, and he might be the Steph Curry stopper, um, not just because of what he did in this game. This great stat courtesy of 538's Chris Herring, go back to the 2016 and 17 season, we're, so we're talking three seasons here, Van Fleet uh, has surrendered just 21 points per 100 plays to Steph Curry. Um, in other words, he's really done a nice job of stopping him and just being a, a, a thorn in his side. Even another interesting statistic, according to Second Spectrum, this this courtesy of John Schumann from NBA.com, Second Spectrum has Curry scoreless with Van Fleet in this game as the primary defender. And in his one regular season game this, against Toronto this season, Curry scored just four points on 39 possessions with Van Fleet guarding him. So those, you know, who's guarding you stuff from, from Second Spectrum, not always 100%, but it's still close enough to give you an idea. And those numbers are pretty eye-popping. So just four points now in two games against him um, and, and on a fairly decent sample size. So uh, I think there's something there. One of the things that Van Fleet does, for one, he's an incredibly smart player. Um, at his size, coming into the league, he's got to be smart. He's got to be skilled. That's what he is. But he's also just defensively, he's so good at, at staying connected to Curry. So much of what Curry does, he's shifty. He moves around. He can get that shot off so quickly that if you fall behind just a little bit, whether the ball's in his hands or off ball, you know, receiving pin downs and split cuts, if you just give him a little bit of daylight and get loose and you and begin chasing him, you know, it's exponential. The You're one step behind. Curry has a great chance of scoring. Two steps behind, it's almost a certainty he's going to score. Well, Van Fleet does such a good job of staying connected to him, pressuring him full court when he tries to dribble the ball up, and then just has great active hands. There were several deflections he made uh, on passes from Curry in this game, just, just constantly kind of a thorn in his side. And I think there's really something to it. Now, Steph Curry is a great player. He might be the best player in the NBA. I mean, there's at least an argument to be made the most impactful, certainly top five. Um, so he's going to go off, and, and it's not one of those things where you can ever shut him down entirely, but if you can prevent him from having four great games over the course of seven, you really put yourself in position to play a lot. So Van Fleet, he was also tied for a team high uh, plus 11 tonight. He played 33 minutes. I suspect he'll be that type of minute total player. Had 15 points. Uh, really big night from him. But the player of the game was Pascal Siakam. The favorite of nerds, basketball nerds like me, um, sort of, I guess, a coming out party. Anytime you're on this stage, 
you are playing in front of the biggest audience and people are really getting a chance to see um, what you got. And Siakam, I think, clearly the favorite for most improved player. I would be surprised if anybody else won it. I don't think there's even anybody else that comes remotely close when you look at where he was last year. A good player and an up-and-comer. I think a lot of people saw it coming, but this was the year he really put it together. And on a night that featured Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, uh, Kawhi Leonard, Kyle Lowry. If the finals ended after game one, Pascal Siakam would have himself a finals MVP. He was that good. There was one point I think he made 11 straight shots. He finished 14 of 17 from the field for 32 points, go along with eight rebounds, five assists, one steal, two blocks, and just a tremendous game from him. He was always in the right place at the right time. And what I liked, first of all, a couple interesting things. This is the first time... I think Draymond Green, who's now been to, this is his fifth straight finals, Draymond Green is a little bit of a prototype for um, a new generation, a new wave of these hyper-versatile defenders. And we're seeing uh, you know, them trickle into the league. I, th- I don't think anybody at Draymond Green's level, he's the self-proclaimed greatest defender of all time. And as funny as that is, he's certainly, I'm, I'm not big on ranking guys you know, across eras and really not ranking guys in, in, in general. But I think that there is a, a, a point to what Draymond is saying is that this is a guy that can guard centers. He can guard pick and roll. He can guard point guards. He can rebound. I mean, he does everything defensively. He's just so one of the more versatile defenders we've seen. Pascal Siakam is what's cool about him is he is in the Draymond mold. He is a Draymond disciple, you could say. He's sort of, um, I don't know if he directly you know, modeled his game after him. There's certainly a lot of differences between them. They're not a complete copy, but they are in the same mold. And, and it's kind of neat to see Draymond now take center stage in a matchup against somebody that that is so similar to what he does. And what I liked is Siakam was not afraid of Draymond offensively, attacking him off the dribble. There were a couple possessions uh, in this game, especially in that third quarter uh, where Siakam was 6-for-6, where he attacked him. You know, he had him basically in an isolation situation and would just go right at Draymond. Very few people go right at Draymond in isolation, especially perimeter players. Maybe if you get a really big, you know, a Carl Anthony Towns or an Anthony Davis, those guys, there is there are limits to to the fives that Draymond can defend. He can guard most, but not your you know your top tier uh, centers. But for wing players like Siakam, very few people try to test him the way that he did. But Siakam just was in such a zone that it, it felt like he was the taller, longer, quicker Draymond in this game. And um, Draymond, after the game, owned up to it, um, said that, you know, that's my job. That's my responsibility. I got to be better at guarding him. He had a career night, one of the better games of his entire career on the biggest stage, his first trip to the playoffs. And, and Draymond, I think, going forward – who wins that battle and how to what degree Draymond can sort of limit Siakam and, and, and kind of shut him down, that will be a huge battleground going forward um, in this series. So really, really interesting. I thought it was um, – I, I thought that was, that kind of formed the basis and the storyline for, for round one of this series, and, and to me that's a lot of fun. Here on Locked On NBA, I want to give a thanks to Untuck It for sponsoring this show. If you are looking for a great Father's Day idea, their shirts are specifically designed to look great untucked and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. No tucking or tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com. 
promo code NBA to get 20% off. Grip six belts also brought, uh, bringing you today's show, the ultra lightweight belt with no holes, no flap. And it's a great father's day gift as well. Go to grip six. They have a special offer you at grip forward slash lock L O C K E. And then of course, a reminder to download the Himalaya app, really fantastic app. We're getting great feedback from our listeners on that one. Um, it's, it's the podcasting of 2019 and beyond. You're, you're going to take your podcasting game to a whole new level. Okay, a couple big questions here. Um, or actually, b- before we get to the questions, I want to look at some areas of improvement because, of course, we always run the risk of uh, after game one, it's like, oh man, Toronto's just better. Up oh, there, they better get KD. But you know, you run to rush to judgment. This was a game that had a lot of. Um, this was very much a game one to me, uh, a feel out game, um, a game where. The, I don't think a lot of what happened in this one is going to be replicated every single game going forward. So let's look at some areas of improvement for Golden State. First of all, there were 16 turnovers in this game. That's awfully high. That's below, I mean, I'm sorry, that's above sort of the threshold for what you can expect, especially in an NBA Finals. That's above the threshold. Draymond Green had six of those, um, and he got credited with a couple that I actually thought were, you know, him making a good read that he was just ahead of the player. The the his teammate didn't quite make the same read. They were not crisp. Golden State was not crisp. We're going to talk about fatigue or uh, about rust here in a minute. And I think those sixteen turnovers, at least some of them, were a product of rust. Um, lots of sloppy passing. I think Draymond will probably defend Pascal Siakam better. Siakam does present some interesting challenges. As good as Draymond is, um, Siakam is just quicker and sort of longer than him. That spin move that Siakam is known for, he's got one of the best spin moves in all of the NBA. That spin move, like Giannis, to a lesser degree, obviously, but like Giannis, it covers so much ground. And um, Siakam, with the handle that he has, I I do think it's a challenge for Draymond to both kind of keep him in check and be a help side defender that that makes him so great. But I also think that, you know, he's going to do a better job going forward. And then this is an interesting one. Should they focus a little bit less on Kawhi? I thought this was a game where the Warriors really – you're obviously worried about the best player on Toronto's roster, which is Kawhi Leonard. But, um, you know, I, I would maybe try to flip that. Kawhi, dealing with his own injury, kind of looks a little bit um, not 100%. He's got some uh, – he's been banged up. Maybe you try to – this is weird to say, but after what you saw in game one, maybe in game two you you kind of see how Kawhi does. He was off his game. He wasn't quite getting to his spots. Maybe you try to see if he can get hot, and if he does, you have to revert back. But um, the way they sort of loaded up on him at the detriment of guarding everyone else, maybe you try to flip that in game two. So that's that's sort of a area I look at with Golden State that maybe could happen. And then, of course, a little bit better shooting. As much as I think that the shot profile for for the Warriors tonight, um, you know, 0 for 4 from Andre Iguodala, 0 for 2 from the three-point line from, from Draymond Green, that those are numbers that I think – even if they make one or two of those, maybe this game is a little bit different. For Toronto areas of improvement, Lowry was not good in this one. I think one of the things, if you're a Toronto fan, that you take away from this is Kyle Lowry goes two for nine. Kawhi Leonard was below average for him, and you still get the the comfortable win. So, um, But Lowry especially, I think, just didn't have a huge impact as a scorer. He was a team-high plus 11. Uh, him, Kawhi, and Van Fleet, all plus 11s. So it wasn't that he played poorly, but as a scorer, he just didn't seem to he he, he didn't seem comfortable kind of getting to his spots. And a lot of those nine field goal attempts were were not great. 
Areas of regression for Golden State. Iguodala, not 100%. That hamstring injury, um, he looks banged up as well. I mean, think about how depleted they are. Cousins, not 100%. KD, out. If Andre Iguodala were to miss a game, I just don't see how Golden State can win. As much as I think they're so talented and they have all of these players, you take out KD, you take out Iguodala, you make, you know, DeMarcus Cousins probably only going to play 20 minutes or less in game two, probably a lot less. At some point, you're just run out of horses, and um, that's a possible area of regression for Golden State. Iguodala just got all that time off. He's not going to have that going into game two. And then 29 of 31 from the free throw line. They are a fantastic free throw shooting team. A lot of those from the guys you expect to make them, but nonetheless, you know, 95% or whatever that is is still pretty good. Areas of regression for Toronto. Gasol and Siakam combined for four for seven from the three-point line. I'd be curious to see how many games Toronto lost this year when those two combined for above 50% three-point shooting. My guess, my hunch is not very many, if any at all. Um, So a big part of Toronto's game plan um, revolves around those guys being able to hit hit their shots and their wide-open shots. And they were wide open. They did a good job to sort of create those. But it's also a function of what Golden State is willing to live with. They lived with that tonight, and both guys made them uh, pay. Siakam, obviously, 14 of 17, a career night from him. As, as much as I think he can be a huge X factor in this whole series, I don't know that he shoots 82% um, every game. That I think it's only happened a handful of times that a player has had 30 or more points on 80% in NBA Finals. I think there's Michael Jordan, Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, I can't remember who the other one was. I think it happened four times. So um, he probably shoots marginally worse. And then as a team, Toronto shot 39.4% from the three. That's awfully good. Uh, a few questions going forward. One, this is the biggest one or one of the bigger ones for me. Should Kevon Looney start? I don't understand the idea of starting Jordan Bell. I don't think that he's uh, you know, made for this series. He only played 11 and a half minutes. He was a minus four in those. He went one of two from the field. Um, I just I don't understand this this idea about bringing Looney off the bench and, and playing him just 28 minutes. I know they want to preserve his minutes for whatever reason, but I think Kevon Looney is a player that um, Steve Kerr can trust a little bit more. Not only can trust, but needs to. They just don't have a lot of guys, and Looney, to me, is sort of um, – not a great player, but I like his skill set, and I think he's a guy that um, can do the job that he is that they need from that position. Defend, be versatile defensively, be able to you know step out on the perimeter and and keep guys in front of him. Use his length, use his mobility, um, and then offensively roll to the rim, put pressure on the rim, grab those rebounds. Um, I, I think he can do that. So to me, I I, I would start him. And I probably would cut Jarepko completely out of the rotation and just roll with DeMarcus Cousins as your backup center without, you know, Jarepko alongside of him. That does, that move didn't make sense to me. How much of a factor do you, th- do you do I think rust was in this one? I think it was a pretty big factor, to be honest. Again, a lot of those passes, there were some there were some possessions where the ball was really popping for Golden State, but it just resulted in the ugliest shots. And then there was just a couple miscues, the turnovers. I think they probably, I, if I were to guess how many turnovers Golden State will have in Game 2, I would guess 11 or fewer. So um, some of that does have to do with rust. Are the Raptors peaking right now? I love this one. I asked all these questions, so of course I love these questions. But this one I think is a really interesting one because when I was watching this, I was thinking, you know, this isn't the best. Because Kawhi is a little bit injured and because um, Lowry just didn't have a great game, I can't say this is the best that I've seen Toronto look. I know they've, they've looked better, but I don't know that their, like, process and their sort of chemistry and... Um, you know, I, that 
I, I think is sort of at an all-time high. Defensively, they were on a string. Their defensive execution, they executed the game plan they wanted to, I thought, beautifully in this one. Um, their decision-making, I, I talked about this earlier, but the transition and half-court decision-making just, just so top-notch. And to me, this looks like a team. Anytime you make, you know, this is a team with a, a brand-new best player. Probably a brand new second or third best player, depending on where you put Siakam, because of the leap that he's made. Their brand new center in Marcus Gasol, who only came around halfway through the year. This is a team that usually you always talk about. You say, yeah, well, they needed a year to gel. Well, this team has taken that year to gel, or half year in Gasol's case, and you think about it, they've come a long way from where they were just two or three months ago. So I do think that this team is peaking, even if Kawhi um, isn't 100% healthy. Which brings us to the next one. Is Kawhi's health a hidden concern? Again, I'll answer this one. I think it is. A healthy Kawhi, I think, probably means that it, a healthy Kawhi and an unhealthy KD, DeMarcus, and Andre Guadalla, which those three, even if, if KD is able to come back, he probably won't be 100%. A healthy Kawhi, I think Toronto has 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 the um, you know the the scales tip in their favor in this series. If he's not a hundred percent, then Toronto a lot more vulnerable, and um, you know maybe Golden State can kind of key in on shutting some of these other guys down. So that is a huge concern for Toronto, um, and and it's one that maybe shouldn't be a concern. We're going to find out just how healthy Kawhi is because he's got a lot of games ahead of him. Um, is game two a must win? This is the last one. Is it a must win for Golden State? I'm going to say no, but it certainly wouldn't hurt. You know, going down 0-2 is tough. The the KD on the horizon, I I said on last week's show, I'm not convinced that Kevin Durant is actually, you know, returning in this series at all. I think there's a chance that even the Warriors know him coming back is a long shot. But if you try to come back when you're down 0-2, that makes game three an absolute must win. And are you trying to test it? Are you? Is it one of those things where you wake up in the morning not knowing if you're coming back and then, oh, I felt good until I got out there and then I didn't feel good and now we got to throw out the game plan because I'm clearly not as good as I thought I was? Um, that's a tough spot to be in. So game two, not a must win for Golden State. Draymond, even after the game, said, hey, we only need to win one there. I mean, that's how confident they feel about going back to Oracle um, for the final series ever at Oracle, which puts a little extra something on it. But it certainly would put them in a hole down 0-2. If Andre Iguodala doesn't play and then you bring him back in Game 3, I mean, there's just so many variables. So I do think that this game, Game 1, probably went as well as you could hope to make this series as interesting as possible. But I think that people are coming to realize that this Toronto Raptors team is extremely versatile. Um, they're very talented. Some of the guys that, you know, Pascal Siakam is a superstar in the making. If he wasn't, you know, before, say, the All-Star break he is now, and I think he's on everybody's radar. Um, you know, they just got so many different pieces. They got one of every type of player. Once you get past Kyle Lowry, Siakam, Kawhi Leonard, you've got uh, the versatility in everybody else. Gasol and Ibaka both provide different looks. You know, you've got Norman Powell. You've got Fred Van Fleet. you just got all these different types of players. Danny Green, um, who could fill a lot of different roles. And I think that collectively as a group, this is a team that has really used the regular season to kind of come together. And Danny Green talked about this after the game in what I thought was a really interesting post-game interview with uh, the NBA TV broadcast crew. He said that you have to give Nick Nurse a lot of credit, a new coach, first year with the team. He has spent the entire year sort of 
building trust uh, amongst the players, but also uh, showing trust in them. And he said a lot of the reason that Siakam has broken out the way that he has this year is that Nick Nurse has sort of fostered that confidence in him by giving him the trust all year to to kind of grow into this role and sort of the belief that, hey, we're going to rely on you a lot because by the end of this season, you're going to be a guy that um, belongs on that stage. And to me, I love those stories because – those are you think about the great coaches, the Popoviches, the Phil Jacksons. These are guys that they spend the regular season not always trying just to win and strategically tinker with this or that, but they're trying to look at the big picture. And the big picture is when we get to June, when we get to the end of the May or to June, when we're in the NBA Finals, have we done the necessary steps along the way to give the right tools to the team to succeed? And the Toronto Raptors, to me, I, I do think that they're peaking, but I think that they look like a team that has sort of gone through that process of discovering who they are. And now that they're on the stage, they're sort of fully matured and, and, and understand that. And it's been really cool to watch. I still think this is a great series. My pick remains Warriors in six. But I, I would be lying if I didn't say that this was a game where I looked at Toronto and said, you know, they're a little bit better than I think even I gave them credit for. As bullish as I was on them, this was a game where they looked even a little bit better than I thought. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. I hope you have a great week. Don't forget to subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast on whatever apps you use. Hopefully it's the Himalaya app. And then you can check out all of your local shows, whether that's the NFL, the NBA, or Major League Baseball. We've even got some colleges. Um, just search for your team, Locked On Patriots, if that's you, Locked On Celtics, um, Locked On uh, whatever it is, MLB, NHL, or, or I'm sorry, MLB, NFL, or, or NBA, and you'll have them there. Have a great weekend, everybody. Mm-hmm.